Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are in that final lull before football begins. But as always, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 62. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Fandemonium columnist Tommy Lawler. It is an absolute disgrace on my part that it has taken 62 episodes for me to get Tommy on the show to talk about the Eagles. But with the signing of Fletcher Cox last week, he put out a piece ranking the great Eagles defensive linemen. So we'll talk about that, and we'll preview this Eagles defense a little bit in that segment. Next up, we've got Two Technique, where I caught up with a member of that defense in rookie defensive end Alex McAllister to talk about rushing the passer. Then we wrap this defensively focused episode of the podcast up with Saturday Scouting, where... We check out my notes on rookie safety Blake Countess coming out of Auburn. If you've been paying attention to this podcast, you know I'm a fan of Blake and his skill set, so we'll touch on that before we say goodbye for the week. We've got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. I caught up with Tommy Lawler from Eagles Blitz and the Fandemonium column here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Let's get things going in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very happy to be joined by Tommy Lawler, who you can follow on Twitter at Lawler NFL. Tommy, I said it earlier, it is ridiculous that I've waited this long to bring you on the show. And when I when I got done reading your article on PhiladelphiaEagles.com last week, I thought, you know what? Now's the time. Let's bring it. We, we just re-signed Fletcher Cox. We put out this article, you know, your top 10 defensive linemen for the last 30 years in the Philadelphia Eagles, obviously a storied franchise when it comes to the defensive line. So I said, Let, let's bring Tommy on. Let's talk some defense. So let's first, I first have to ask you about this list. What, what was it that, uh, that was the hardest part of putting these top 10 together? Well, you know, the big thing is there's so many good players the, the Eagles have had up front in, in, in the last 30 years. You know, starting from when uh, Buddy Ryan got here, and you know he's just been a uh, throughout his career a great defensive line coach. If you go back to when he was with the Jets, and then when he was with the Vikings as an assistant, and obviously when he built with the Bears, and then he came to the Eagles, he did a great job of developing talent that was already there, and then drafting and developing talent on his own. So he brought in a lot of great players, and then honestly, since then, uh, Ray Rhodes, Andy Reid. You know, even Chip Kelly, these guys have brought in a lot of good players. So when you sit there and you try to figure out who are the 10 best players and you try to rank them fairly, understanding that there's differences in their games, football's changed, you have to take a lot of things into account. But uh, it made for a really a real, really interesting challenge. You know, Ricky White to the top, and after that, you know, there's you can make a lot of different arguments. And Reggie's, nobody's going to top Reggie, but after that, there, there's some flexibility. Yeah, no question. And I could tell, too, where your head was at in terms of trying to balance raw talent versus overall production and the longevity of guys like Clyde Simmons and what he was able to do over his career. And Trent Cole, obviously, uh, was so productive throughout his career here in Philadelphia. I was shocked to see Fletcher only at number five. But that being said, I think it was interesting looking at the bottom five. My biggest bone that I had to pick with the entire list was one that the player actually took you to task on Twitter. Hugh Douglas suggesting that you were writing under the influence by putting him only at number eight on the list. What was uh, the thought process with Hugh being at number eight, and would you have 
put him a little bit higher uh, if he had been on the team longer? What was it that could have put him higher on the list in your eyes? Well, he was a, a, a very good player for the Eagles. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, he was very productive. He had a you know back in 1998, we had the the awful Eagles team, the three and thirteen, and just dreadful. Uh, you know, he had I think twelve and a half sacks a year. It was one of the guys that was really fun to watch week in and week out. He got hurt in '99, which was Andy's first year, and then 2000 through 2002, those three years, the defense was outstanding. He was an outstanding, a Pro Bowl player every year, and, and just really a force off the edge at right defensive end, and a real, real good player. And then he leaves for Jacksonville, and he really just, I think he had like uh, maybe four or five sacks the rest of his career. He's really caught up to him, and he fell off in a hard way. Trying to, you know, if Trent had played, excuse me, if uh, he would played another couple of years with the Eagles, he'd probably be higher in that list, because I was trying to balance uh, as you said, longevity, productivity, uh, natural talent, all those things. And the other thing is just there's some other guys, you know, William Fuller I put ahead of him. You could have put, you know, Cole, uh, you could have put uh, ahead of William Fuller. But at the same time, when you look at Fuller and the guys he played with, uh, I put together a post for an Eagles blitz and listed all the defensive line he played with. He played with guys who were there for a season or two seasons and were average players or Guys on the downside of the career, he was a, a great leader that made those defensive lines better than they should have been. And, you know, so I gave him some bonus points for being a leader. With Trent Cole ranking him ahead of you, I gave him points for the fact he was an eagle for 10 seasons. And he was a guy, he was a rock for those defenses. He knew every week, you know, number 58 is going to be out there on the right side. And he was going to bring his lunch and he was going to, you know, battle you all game long. And, there's a certain, I think you, you, you need to be praised for the fact that you were so reliable and such a factor for so long. So, two, you know, maybe maybe I was a little unfair to him. I don't know. I mean, you, you could easily make a case the guy should go up three or four spots, but I was trying to reward guys for various things, and he just fell down to number eight. So, uh, you know, not the worst thing in the world. And it's like you said, there's just so many great names. It's not It's not like you're shorting uh, Hugh by putting him at number eight on this list. And, and I might be a little biased. I'm gonna, I'll, I will throw out the fact that, and a little peek behind the curtain, uh, growing up I was a huge Brian Dawkins fan, as was every Eagles fan in that generation. But Hugh Douglas was probably 1B on that list for me. My AOL screen name, and BT is probably going to laugh at this behind the glass, uh, my AOL screen name growing up in middle school uh, BT and I went to middle school and high school together. Was Eagle Fan fifty three for Hugh Douglas? So uh, Hugh was obviously. A... There you go. I was a uh, you know to me Reggie was my favorite Eagle unquestionably, but then once he left, for some reason William Ford became a guy that I absolutely loved, and maybe it's the fact he took over that left defense spot, a left defense defense spot. Once Reggie left, there, there was the the, the the black hole of nineteen ninety three where you know they tried to put Tim Harris there, and we weren't talking about that. But once Ford came in in 94, it's like he restored the fact that, you know, that left defense spot had been so special with Reggie that Ford took it over in 94 for three years. He wasn't Reggie, but he was a a viable replacement. He, you know, it wasn't like you know, when they had him gone, you, you, you looked at never. It was just awful not to have somebody there in Reggie's old spot. So when Ford came in and he restored some honor to that spot, it just said something to me because I had been such a huge Reggie fan. So the last question I'll ask about the list before, because we obviously I want to talk about the, the Eagles defense in 2016. The last question I'll ask you, 
how hard of a discussion was it for you for number two, for that number two spot? I know you went with Jerome and can't argue the decision because of Jerome's talent, but how hard was it when you had guys that were super productive in Clyde Simmons and Trent Cole? And then also, I would argue, and, I, and I've, especially over the last couple of years, working on this old school all 22 piece that we are every fall, going back and watching Jerome Brown and just seeing how ridiculously talented he was. But comparing him to Fletcher Cox, I, I think it's pretty comparable in terms of the physical talent and what they were able to do on a football field. How hard was it to really sort through that top five? Oh, yeah, very challenging, no question. You know, I did go through, and, and here's one thing I want people to know. I did go back and watch old games before I wrote this. I mean, I've got my memories, but sometimes memories can be, you know, uh, affected by time, and we, we suddenly remember things that didn't happen or we overhype a guy or underhype a guy. So I said, you know what, I want to go get a fresh look at these guys. Let me go watch them. Let me see them play a little bit to remember just how good they were or make sure I'm being fair. And as I watched some of Jerome, and you saw how special he was, and, you know, he was a, a, a dominant player. And with Fletcher, Fletcher's actually being hindered by the fact he was in the wrong system for the last three years. And that's not fair to him, but at the same time, I can't just project that he would have been awesome if he had been in the right system. So I have to go with the information that's available, and so therefore I went with Jerome. Now, I fully expect that if Fletcher plays the way that I anticipate, he's going to fly up to number two on that list and probably surpass Jerome if he stays healthy. Well, and that's why I waited to ask you the Fletcher Cox question last, was because I wanted to ask you, just how excited you've, you've gone back, you've studied Jim Schwartz's schemes, you've, you've seen Jim Schwartz and how he coaches his defensive front sevens over the last few years, obviously going back to his days with the Tennessee Titans and you know, they, they, Javon Curse when he signed here. We know what kind of production he's always gotten from his defensive line. So when you look at Fletcher Cox, when you look at some of the other defensive players, the veterans up front, Benny Logan and Connor Barwin and Brandon Graham, how excited are you to see some of these vets transition into this scheme, knowing what you know about Jim Schwartz and then knowing what you know about these veterans that are on this defense? Oh, Fran, it's just unbelievable how exciting it is because one of the bones I had with Chip Kelly is one of the bones to pick, I should say, with Kelly is that you know he wanted his 3-4. It didn't fit the personnel. He pushed his 3-4 system in, and the personnel adapted to it, and you know the results were very mixed, to, to be generous. When you go back and you study what Jim Schwartz has done over the years, he wants to run a 4-3. He wants to attack, but he's very creative with how he uses his personnel. And, you know, when he got a guy like Javon Curse, he used him differently than he did a defensive end like Kevin Carter because one guy was 295 pounds, one guy was 255 pounds, and so you can't use them the same way. And when you look at what he did with Albert Hainsworth, I remember studying a Titans game back in, uh, you know, wow, I can't remember, 2000 and. 2007, somewhere in that range. And there is Albert Hainsworth, a 330 pounds player, right defensive end. And sure enough, he beats the left tackle and gets a sack. And I was blown away by the fact that they had put this 330 pound defensive tackle at right defensive end, which is generally in the NFL, that's your speed rusher spot. Well, you know, Schwartz knew listen, I got a special player. I'm not going to line him up and have him go against the same guy every time because offenses are going to game plan for that. So let me be creative and let me use this guy in a special way because he's got special ability. And when you look at a guy like Fletcher Cox, obviously he has special ability. And I think Schwartz is going to move him around, be creative, and let Fletcher play to his talent rather than trying to 
pigeonhole him and push him into a, a system that doesn't fit him. And when you have coaches that are willing to say, what do I have and how can I use them, I think that's when you're going to get your best results. You know, and it's interesting too. And you mentioned Albert Hainsworth, and uh, you know, my my younger brother is a, a producer for a radio station local here in Philadelphia. And I asked him, I said, you know, after the Fletcher Cox signing, what were what were the fan, what was the discussion about? And he said that some fans, you know, that were were worried about, and we talked about this in the show last week, were worried about giving so much money to a defensive tackle. And they mentioned, you know, and Sue and Albert Hainsworth as examples of defensive tackles that they got paid a huge ton of money. And then they, their production fell off. And, you know, so we're, we're talking, and I, and I got to remembering, and I, and I don't know if this has been talked about, and it's just very ironic. You talk with both Sue and with Hainsworth, where both, both players came away from Jim Schwartz's attack front and went into two gap fronts. Got pay, you know, they got, they got their money, and their production fell off. Fletcher's doing the opposite. And he talked about last week, he hasn't reached his ceiling yet because he's coming from a two-gap scheme and going into Jim Schwartz's attack front. I, the the sky's the limit for what Fletcher could do. I'm really really excited about what he can do this fall. I completely agree with you, and that's one of the funny things with free agency is that teams will go watch a player uh, become a star in a certain system, give them a lot of money, bring them to their town, and then use them somewhat differently, and then they wonder why the results aren't the same. And we we've seen the Eagles do this before as well. So you know it's not like they're completely innocent, but. Uh, you know, when you when you go and you sign a player to a huge deal, you have to say, I need to use him the way he's already been used or put him in an, even a better position to take advantage. And that's what, you know, Fletcher Cox, man, I'll tell you what, he's getting freed up now. I mean, the guy had nine and a half sacks last year playing in a system where he was initially told to engage the blocker across from him and find the football. Now we're telling him, shoot that gap and blow up whatever's in front of you there's no telling. I mean, I'm not saying those guys are going to have 20 sacks. I mean, we do need to be realistic here. But there's no there's no doubt that he could have had additional four or five sacks, an additional handful of tackles for loss. I mean, he could have made more plays if he was freed up last year. So it's really exciting to see that. The other thing you got to talk about with, with those guys is that his character is a factor. And Fletcher Cox is a guy that the Eagles are very comfortable with. There have been no issues with him whatsoever. He's a high-character guy. Hainsworth and Sue both have some issues on and off the field. And so those, you know, when you gave them a lot of money, there was risk, and the, the risk did not pan out for those teams the way it was anticipated with, with Fletcher Cox. He's staying with the Eagles. He, he, you know, he's in a place where they, they like him. And he's a guy that, is, if anything, character, is, it's, it's not a concern. It's a strength. That's the guy you're comfortable giving out money to because, you know the work, work ethic is going to be there, and so that makes it all the, the more of a better situation. Tommy, just a couple more questions for you. The, and the one thing as we talk about transitioning into this Jim Schwartz scheme, the, they looked at the defensive line during the during draft weekend, and they, they spent one late-round pick in Alex McAllister, but then they brought in a trio of defensive linemen and undrafted free agency. You've got Aziz Shitu from Stanford, Connor Wooschek from Boston College, and Destiny Vial from Washington State. Of those four players, and we know McAllister is the draft pick, but of those four, who excites you most? Who are you most intrigued to see play this summer? Well, I think Vial is the guy that gets everybody's attention because he's got the uh... – He's got the length that, that, that Schwartz likes. He's six foot four, about 295 pounds. Schwartz likes tall defensive linemen, so that, that length is there. And then the fact that he was, uh, if you go back and you watch Washington State, they did some very creative things defensively. And so he played some defensive tackle, he played some defensive end, he played some nose tackle, and he rushed from a variety of spots 
a variety of angles, and he showed the ability to beat people with athleticism, but also to beat them with skill. He's got a good motor, and he's just a really interesting player. McAllister, there's no question he's going to be fun to watch because he's so physically gifted. Uh, it's just a question of you know size and strength with him because you're talking about a defensive end who's 240 pounds, give or take, and obviously he's going to have to bulk up for the NFL to be able to handle offensive linemen. So it'll be interesting to see how he does going against some of the Eagles' offensive linemen in training camp with uh, dealing with their size and strength in mini camps and OTAs, non-contact. So he, he still has no real idea what it's like to deal with a, a 320-pound professional offensive lineman. Time, last question for you. We spent the entire time talking about the defensive line. Let me ask you about the safety duo because uh, Rodney McLeod, I don't think a lot of fans were very familiar with his skill set when the Eagles signed him in free agency. I personally had watched him a little bit, but I never studied him for as much as I, I had put in the work after the Eagles brought him in. How excited are you to see this safety duo this fall? Oh, man, it's it's unbelievable. Again, this is safety is a position that when you have a good pair of safeties, it makes such a difference for defenses. If you go back to the Buddy Ryan era, you know, Andre Waters and Wes Hopkins were a great duo, but they had some seasons where they weren't healthy and the Eagles were moving other guys into those positions. And when in 1991, the great defense, both guys were healthy and played at a really high level, and it helped that defense be an elite defense. Uh, when you talk about you know, the 2008 Eagles, the last time we've had a top-five defense, Brian Dawkins and Quentin Michael, both healthy, both played at a high level. Uh, you go back to 1995, the Eagles had a real top-five defense that year. You had uh, Greg Jackson and Mike Zordich, both quality safeties. And so we have two players, not just one, but two players that can both play the run and the pass, and especially if they, they work well together. We don't know about McLeod and Jenkins but I, I think we, they're going to work well together. It just It's a real weapon for the defense because all of a sudden you have guys that can make tackles, they can make plays, they can cover, and the safeties are there to clean up mistakes. If a linebacker misses a tackle, the safety is going to get that guy. You know, If a defensive lineman you know, gets caught inside, the running back bounces outside, the safety's got to be there to clean that up. And so when you have good players that can come up and clean up mistakes, it just makes a huge difference for a defense. And McLeod, He's another guy the Eagles signed that they made a really good addition there because he knows the scheme. He played for the, the St. Louis Rams, or yeah, not the Los Angeles Rams, I guess it was the St. Louis Rams. And, you know, the, the Jeff Fisher used a system that is similar to what Jim Schwartz uses. And so you're asking him to do things in this system that he did in, a, in the previous system. And so, therefore, you're not projecting him and hoping that he adjusts to a new defense and can handle all these new responsibilities, you're saying, hey, just do what you did the last few years that earned you the high contract. And so the fact that he can come in and do those things, he's a high-character guy, he's a physical, tough football player, which is what you need, playing behind the wide nine as a defensive back. So, man, I'm excited. This, this is the best uh, duo of safeties the Eagles have had in a long time. Tommy Lawler, again, you can check him out on Twitter, at LawlerNFL, and make sure you go back, look at his articles, Fandemonium column on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the top 10 defensive linemen of the last 30 years for the Philadelphia Eagles. Tommy, once again, appreciate you coming on here with us on the Eagle Line in the Sky podcast. It is my honor to speak with a great friend, Duffy, so thank you for having me. Great stuff from Tommy. Again, you can follow him on Twitter, just like I do, at LawlerNFL, and while you're at it, 
I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that gets produced here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody out there that promotes this podcast on social media. And that's just one way to support this show. The other is to go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show, leave us a comment, leave us a a rating. And I want to give a shout out to DG Black Zero, who left a great comment this week and talked about how much he loves the segments with Greg Cosell from NFL Films. That's exactly why I bring him on whenever I can. So thanks to DG Black and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all of the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. But let's keep this show going. I told you earlier we would jump into the locker room to talk with Alex McAllister. Just got done talking about him with Tommy Lawler. Let's learn about how to turn the corner and bend the edge as a pass rusher into technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Here now with Eagles defensive end Alex McAllister. And Alex, coming out of Florida, you were best known for your ability to, to turn the corner coming off the edge, you know, lighting up and beating the tackle to the spot. Do you think that's a natural God-given thing, or is that something that you were able to improve on throughout your career with the Gators? It was definitely both, you know, just first just having a guy every time to even get around the edge and really point that toe and face it towards the quarterback and then keep repping that and keep practicing once you, like, get it down pat. So it was definitely both working on it and God bless me with that time. <laughs> what is it that you've obviously now been in the league now for a couple months uh, and you've gotten some coaching from some great coaches so far here with the Eagles. What is it that you've learned about the difference between playing at the college level uh, compared to the NFL when it comes to trying to win off the corner? Are there some things that you know you can't get away with now being at the NFL? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's crazy. Coach, I always say everybody's talented in the NFL, and that's, that's, that's a God-given truth. Everybody can move. Offensive type can move like defensive ends, and now it's like they jump the snap like we jump the snap. So it's definitely like it's all want to and like really just getting that good get off and then finally making a move to get around the edge. So it's definitely, it's definitely different. There's lots of different moves that go along with trying to get to the edge. You know, there's the hand swipe, dip and rip, club rip. What's your what, what was your favorite in college? We know we know you got some different things going now that, yeah. now that you're in the NFL. What was your favorite in college? But definitely college. College was definitely my uh, shoulder dip, just dipping around that edge, just beating around that edge with speed. Now I'm in the, the big leagues. I definitely use my length to my advantage. So my long arm, just sticking that long arm there, posting and working off of that. So that's definitely something I definitely got to keep improving on, working on. Outstanding stuff there from Alex. He did a great job breaking down how to run the hoop, as they say, as a defensive end. So I'm going to quickly break down how to subscribe to a podcast. And if you're listening to this on the Eagles app or on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and you like what you hear, it is really easy. You go on your mobile device, whether it's your smartphone or your tablet, you find your local podcast app and you just search Eagle Eye in the Sky. You hit subscribe and the show downloads automatically to your phone every week and you can listen whenever, wherever you want. You can listen when you're on the boat fishing, when you're at the beach, when you're driving to the shore, whatever you want, whenever you want. It's outstanding. Whether it's this podcast, the Eagles Insider podcast, the Journey to the Draft podcast comes back this fall, and the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro, of course, has great analysis, great access and interviews, and the College Draft podcast, I should mention as well, with myself and Ross Tucker. There's a ton of great podcasts out there. You just have to know where to look. But enough with that. Let's wrap this one up like we do each week in Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, so this week I want to stay tuned here with defensive talk. And we've talked about the defensive front seven for a good chunk of this episode. So I want to shift to the secondary. And one of my favorite draft picks from this past April was 
the Eagles selection of Blake Countess in the sixth round. And, and when I watched him, I was really, really impressed with his overall skill set. So I thought, you know what, let's go. Let's take a look at my notes on him coming out of Auburn. Now, Countess is undersized, 5096, 184 pounds. He, that means he's 5'9 and three quarters and under 190. That's very undersized for a safety. So you go in knowing that he's on the smaller end. He started at field safety in the, or in the slot for most of 2015 in defense coordinator Will Muschamp's scheme. So he played to the wide side of the field. Remember how wide those hash marks are at the college level. So he played to the open side of the field or he lined up in the slot for that Auburn defense. He also started 30 games during his career at Michigan as a cornerback before Jim Harbaugh arrived there. Now, for the positives, he's got the quickness and the smooth feet of a corner for the safety position. In man coverage, he does a good job of reading route breaks and breaking off the ball in off coverage, and he plays the ball well in the air when he has his eyes on it from snap to finish. So when the ball is coming to him or when the receiver's coming to him and he can he can watch the ball from distance, he's able to play the ball in the air. He knows how to finish finish on it as well with the hands to get interceptions. He's also a very, very aggressive player, surprisingly fearless coming downhill and attacking the run. Very reliable tackler that can run the alley, stay in control, come to balance, and finish a one-on-one tackle on an island. And that's why you may remember a couple weeks ago, we had Blake on the show to talk about running the alley, define running the alley. And he did that because he was so good at doing that early in his in his uh, change to the safety spot. So I was really, really impressed by that, his ability to come downhill and finish. From a negative standpoint, as he continues to make the full-time switch to safety, he'll still have some growing pains as he continues to get used to viewing the field from that different angle. And we That's one of those things that's not always talked about. When you talk about moving a player from corner to safety, you're seeing the field from a completely different angle. And if you've never done it before, it takes some time to learn how to do that. And you could tell that he was kind of working through that during different parts of the 2015 season. He's not a player that you're going to want in press coverage on the outside. I do think he can be effective there in a slot. He's got the quickness to be able to mirror slot receivers inside and in the middle of the field. He can continue to clean up his pedal and off coverage, played a bit high, so you can imagine off coverage, close your eyes, and you can think of a defensive back in his pedal. You want that guy to be nice and low in his stance and keep his body under control. There were times where his pads would rise, and when you do that, that affects your ability to click and close, You know, stick your foot in the ground and break downhill. So there were some times where I thought he can clean that up. He's got above-average speed. He can be attacked vertically, and he'll tr- struggle to find the ball late downfield. And we talked about that with Eric Rowe last year. It was an area where he really, really improved. So if Eric Rowe can do it, you hope that Blake Counts can make that same jump. While he is a relentless tackler, his lack of size will come back to bite him at times against some bigger backs. He saw a lot of those big backs in the SEC last year, Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette, Nick Chubb, of the like. Overall, though, I saw a player that can come in, and I could see how some could view him as a slot corner, but I liked him more as a safety that can come down and play in the slot when it's all said and done. I love his play personality. He doesn't have outstanding ball skills downfield, but I think he can be a really nice piece in a secondary as a third or fourth defensive back and an impact player in sub-packages. So I really, really like the selection there in the sixth round of Blake Countess from Auburn. Thanks again to Tommy Lawler, Alex McAllister, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you, and if you get the time again, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, shoot us a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy, so wherever you listen, just go and shoot us a comment, and we can keep making the show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.